Uh, this week, we are going to be looking at two verses that are my uh, top five, top five favorite passage in Scripture. Steve said I could talk about whatever I want today. And so we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So grab your Bibles or your phones or your tablets and turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. A lot of the times we talk about uh, getting born again and the gospel, right, and evangelizing, and that is so important. We need to go out and do this. But for those of you who have been evangelized, for those of you who have been born again, what are you supposed to do now? How do you grow? What is the Christian life supposed to look like? What is the normal Christian life? And that's what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a beautiful passage that helps us to understand what we are to do as believers and how we're to grow in Jesus. So Romans 12, 1 through 2. Verse 1 is interesting because it's the what of this passage. Paul explains, here's what you're supposed to do, verse 1. And then verse 2 is, here's how you're supposed to do it, all right? So we're going to start with the what, and then we're going to get into the how we're supposed to do it. Here's the what. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your own bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, pleasing to God, as your rational service of worship. Whenever you're reading scripture and you see the word therefore, it's referring to something previously said, all right? So sometimes we need to say, oh, there's a therefore. I need to go back and read what happened in the previous verse or the previous chapter or the previous whole book, right? And so people have asked, what is he referring to when it comes to uh, the very first word of verse one? And what he's referring to is the entire first portion of the book. <laughs> he's referring to chapters one through 11, Therefore, based on all that stuff I just told you, all of those things, something, right? His argument starts with based on all of that stuff. Paul does this a lot, actually, in his letters. In Ephesians, he does it. In Colossians, he does it. He starts off with a ton of theology. He starts off with a ton of doctrine. And then he transitions to, so how do we live this out? Like, what does this mean for us? Based on all of that, what? This is the transition in the book of Romans. Therefore, based on chapters 1 through 11, I exhort you. Exhort. Now, there's a word you use every day, right? Everybody, this, we go around exhorting. It's easy, right? What does this mean? The word exhort is, is between a suggestion and a command. All right? So some of your Bible translations will say urge. That's a good word for it, right? I urge you. Strong urging, not a command necessarily, but brothers, I'm telling you, this is something based on the first 11 chapters I'm pushing you towards, all right? Based on the first 11 chapters, I'm urging you. And then he says, brothers, um, I want to give you a tip for reading your Bible. A lot of the times we'll open this book because we want to know what it means, and that is awesome. We need to know what this book means. But before you jump to what does this mean, you need to take a step back and you need to ask, what does it say? All right? Observation is the first step of reading the Bible. So I'm reading this and I observe he uses the word brothers. So does this mean, now we're moving to interpretation, does this mean that if you aren't a man who has a brother, this doesn't apply to you? <laughs> 
You see how you can interpret it like that? Well, that's stupid. Obviously, that's not what it means, right? Well, then what does it mean? Well, the words brethren, he's writing to a church that's at Rome in the first century. So he's talking to Christians. Do you see how that works? This is important for us. Because whenever we're reading scripture, we should say, who's the audience that he's talking to? And he is talking to Christians. So this is for people who are already saved. This is for people who've already believed in Jesus. This is for us. Therefore, based on the first 11 chapters, I'm strongly urging you, Christians, people who have been redeemed, people who have been born again, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God. The by there should be translated as based upon the mercies of God. In, in light of the mercies of God, because of all of the mercies of God you know about, I'm urging you to do something. Um, he's listed a whole bunch of mercies of God in the, in the book, right? You remember he starts off talking about how we are all in a horrible, horrible state of affairs because we have... Uh, We've, we've forsaken the worship of the true God and we worship things that are created, right? We give over to depraved mind. He says in Romans 3, we've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. And then he goes on to Romans 6 and he says, wages of sins, death, your payout, your paycheck for your sins is you get to die. But what? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. That's mercy, right? He goes on to talk about how as Gentiles, we've been grafted into the root of Jesse, mercy. So he's saying, listen, with all the stuff I said in the first 11 chapters, I'm strongly urging you Christian believers, based on the mercies I've listed, based on the mercies you've seen in your own life, I want you to do something. Because of the mercies of God, present your own bodies as a sacrifice. Present is this idea of to offer, to dedicate. There is a choice involved here, right? He doesn't need to urge us to do something if it's automatically going to happen. Does that make sense? He's telling us, you need to do this because you might not do this, but you need to. We have a role to play here. I urge you to make the choice to present your bodies as a sacrifice, to offer, to dedicate to God. Bodies here is the word soma. There's another word for uh, flesh in, in Greek. It's sarx. It means like your literal flesh. This word me doesn't mean just your physical makeup. It means all of who you are. It means your life, including your physical body, but deeper than that. He's calling us to offer up our entire self as a sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, what they would do with sacrifices is they would, they would line up to bring their sin offerings, right? And whether it was doves or whether it was lambs or whatever, they would line up to bring them to the priest. And they'd get up to the front of the line, they'd give it to a priest, the priest would put the, uh, the lamb or whatever animal on the altar, put his hand on the head, which was a symbol of transferring the sin from that person to the animal, and then he'd slit their throat. Is that what God's calling us to do? Well, I hope not, because none of us have done that. Am I supposed to present myself like that lamb? No, and we get a clue because the next word is living, so that's good for us, right? That's very good for us. But we're to present our entirety to God as a sacrifice. God doesn't just want you to sacrifice things for him. A lot of times we'll talk about that. I mean, this time of year especially, this is the resolution time of year, 
right? God, I'm going to give you, and I know I've struggled in the past with X, Y, Z, but now I've got, I'm really serious this time, Lord, and I'm going to sacrifice whatever. That's not what he's asking for here. He doesn't want us to sacrifice things. He wants us to give him our entire self, all of us, all of me. And he qualifies what this sacrifice looks like with three adjectives. He says that it's supposed to, number one, be living, which that's good. We're not corpses that are sacrificed, right? When the, when the, when the uh, priest would slit the animal's throat, then they would sacrifice them in a burnt offering. That's not what we're to be. We're to be a living sacrifice. To be honest with you, I think that being a dying sacrifice would be easier. To one time, to one time have to stand up for Jesus and then have your head chopped off or be shot or whatever is way easier than every day I'm waking up in the battle. Then every day I've got to present all of who I am to God. Like, that's a struggle. Paul said it too, right? To live is Christ. It's suffering. It's miserable. It's hard. But to die, man, that is great. <laughs> that is gain. That is so much better. We're not called to make a stand for God one time. We're called to continually give him everything we are. Living sacrifice. It's tough. Very tough to do. So often people will say, you know, what if you were on your drive home and you got hit by a car? I want to ask you, what if you drive home and you don't get hit by a car and you live tomorrow and the next day and for another 40 years? What are you going to do? What does it look like to be a living sacrifice? What does it look like to give God your entire self? See, it's beautiful because God doesn't just want us to do certain things for him. He wants all of us, including our hopes, our dreams, including our potentiality, including our flaws. Do you see here how perfect isn't one of the adjectives explaining sacrifice? You see that? He's not calling you to be a perfect sacrifice. And I'm thankful for that because you can't be, and I can't be. He's calling us to be a living sacrifice that's holy and that's pleasing to God. He wants us to offer him everything, even with its flaws, even with our problems. A living sacrifice. Holy doesn't mean perfect. It means set apart. Uh, over Christmas, I went back home, and uh, we were at my grandma's house for Christmas dinner. And I sit down to the table, and on the table are things that I've seen pretty much every holiday my entire life. Silverware, that is uh, silver for the knife blade or the scoop of the spoon, but the handles are gold. Have you guys seen this fancy silverware before? Does everybody's grandma have this? This is special silverware. I guess it'd be called goldware. I don't know, but it's, you know, we call it silverware. Special. Why? Because we only use it for holidays, and the rest of the year it sits in her china cabinet, right? And you can't go near or touch or anything. Special. The, the silverware is holy. It's set apart. That's what, that's what the word means. It means set apart, right? These are utensils that are set apart for a specific special thing. That's what God wants you to be. He wants you to be set apart for his use. It's fascinating because in the Old Testament, holy, set apart, was an adjective that God used for the utensils used when they would sacrifice the animals. You don't just use these utensils for anything. They're only used for the sacrifices. He wants you to be that holy utensil that he can use to do whatever he wants of you in this world. He wants all of you living, holy, set apart, this is pleasing to him. This is acceptable to him. Isn't it nice that it doesn't say perfection is what's acceptable to him? 
A living sacrifice that's set apart for him. That's acceptable. That's what he wants. That's what he desires of us. Paul's explaining what we need to do. And he ends this verse by telling us that this is your rational service of worship. Some of your Bibles will say spiritual instead of rational. Do you see that? They're wrong. You can cross it out. You can write it. The word for rational is logikos. It's where we get our word logic from. It's not pneuma. It's not spirit. It's logikos. This is your rational service of worship. At the time this was written, there was arguments going on in Christianity, Judaism, and in the Greek and Roman world about what is rational worship. And, and the Greek philosophers were even talking about how, um, how they're super, uh, superficial and kind of um, um, uh, frivolous worship that went on in worshiping the gods. Like, it's kind of idiotic worship. It doesn't even make sense what, what people are doing to these statues. And they talked about how they need to find the logikos worship, the logical, the rational type of worship. And Paul's saying this is the rational worship. In light of everything God's done for you, in light of all the mercies that he's given you, in light of sending his son to die on the cross to redeem you, not because he had to, but because he wanted to, not based on any works you can do, based on his goodness alone, it's only rational that you'd give him everything. It's only rational that you'd offer up your entire self but so often we like to keep little compartments of ourself to ourselves and manage our sin. It's fun. It's enjoyable. We like to. No, Lord, like you can, you know, these aspects are okay, but over here I want to harbor this. I want to continue to do this. It's poison. It's not good for us. And it's not rational. It's not rational at all. This is our rational service of worship. You see, worship isn't only singing songs. And I blame Third Day for this. I do. It wasn't until they came out with that worship album, like in the late 90s, that then worship became a subgenre category of Christian music, right? Uh, like everything they did before that wasn't worship, and then they decided to do worship, and that's not what worship is by itself. You can be worshiping God through singing music. We have been. It's awesome. You can also not be worshiping God by singing music, right? What is worship? Well, Paul says it's giving God everything. Worship isn't about sacred sites and sacred rites and sacred things. It's about your life being presented to God every day. Presenting isn't a one-time thing we need to do. It's an ongoing thing we need to do. Living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God, and this is only rational in light of all that he's done for us. So that's what we're supposed to do. And if he stopped right there, we'd want to punch him in the face because, okay, that's great. You're telling me to do this thing. How do I do it, right? What's the application? Where do I go from here? What does this look like? Verse two is the how. Here's how. And do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the how. It starts with a negative, and then it tells, us, so it tells us something not to do, and then it goes on to tell us what we need to do. The negative is do not be conformed to this world. The year was 2002. I moved down to Phoenix from a small town in northern Arizona. My town is mostly made up, still to this day, of Buck Rock Roads, and I wanted to be a skateboarder. No sidewalk. I still don't think there's a sidewalk in town. At the post office, no. At the post office, there's a little sidewalk. 
it's really hard to roller, uh, to, to skateboard or to rollerblade on Buck Rock Roads, because I know, because I've tried, and it doesn't work. I moved down to the city, the concrete jungle, here I am. 2002, I'm 18 years old, time to reinvent myself. I played a lot of Tony Hawk on the PlayStation, I knew what I was doing, right? So, I dress in the best skate clothes I can. I got a skateboarding logo shirt, I got baggy jeans, which were popular back then, and then I got skate shoes. I borrow my friend's skateboard, I go to the skate park, and I'm standing there at the highest drop point into the bowl, and I put the skateboard on because I've seen it on the video game, and it doesn't cross my mind, this is a bad idea. And I'm about to drop into the bowl, which was a term I just learned once I got to the skate park. And I drop in, and my face made a skid mark all the way down, because I didn't think it was cool to wear a helmet. And I'm lying there <laughs> thinking, that wasn't a good idea. What am I doing? This isn't who I am. I was trying to conform myself to being a skater, when internally that isn't, that's not who I was. I had no talent. I'd never done it. That isn't me. The word conform means to squeeze yourself into a mold. Squeeze yourself into a mold. The idea is that we're not supposed to squeeze into the mold of this age. The world is this age. The cultural norms, the things that the world says are fine to do, we're supposed to live based on God's word, not squeeze ourselves into this mold. Now, I'm not a skater internally, but I am a Bible nerd, and I need to explain to you something nerdy so you can grasp what Paul's saying here. In Greek, on verbs, there are this, there's this thing called voice. We don't have it in English, really. We have tenses, right? You know what past tense is, present tense, future tense. They have that. Actually, they have more than just three tenses, which is helpful. But they also have this thing called voice. There's an active voice, there's a middle voice, and there's a passive voice. This is what it means. I'm going to use the verb choke to illustrate. If the word choke in Greek was active voice, it means I, the subject, am choking something or someone else. Does that make sense? The subject's doing the action, the choking. The passive voice is the subject is being choked by somebody else. Does that make sense? So it's telling you who the action's happening to. Middle voice is, I'm choking myself. The subject's doing it to themselves. Does that make sense? Conformed is in the middle voice. It's not saying, don't be conformed because the big bad world's out there and it's coming for you and you gotta withstand. That's not what it's saying. He's saying, stop conforming yourself. You're doing it to yourself. It's middle voice. Step one to be a living sacrifice is stop conforming yourself Stop squeezing yourself into the mold of the patterns of this world. How are you doing that? What are the things that you're trying to appear to be that you're not internally because you're a redeemed human being? What, what are the cultural norms that have, have taken over your mind and you're thinking, hey, you know, I, I know what God's word says, but that's kind of old and maybe the translation doesn't really mean that and so maybe we're over here and it... Do you know on Friday, um, the United Methodist Church voted to have a split? Did you see this? They're, half of them think that it's okay, um, that homosexuality isn't a sin and that the Bible doesn't speak against it at all. And then the other half isn't conforming to the cultural norms of this age. They say, no, God's word says this, it's clear, and we're going to stick with God's word on it. And there's a split. 
In what ways are you squeezing yourself into the mold of this age? Because you know who's in charge of this age. It's not you. It's Satan. He's the ruler of the principalities of the air, right? He's in charge of the world system. This is clear throughout Scripture. It's not going to be like that forever, but that's how it is now. And we can get led astray as we're trying to squeeze ourselves into the mold. And we're doing it to ourselves. Step number one to being a sacrifice is stop squeezing yourself into the mold. Stop conforming yourself to the patterns of this age and the cultural norms that are around you. Then he says, but instead. And um, but isn't a word we really focus on too much, but here it's important. This is the biggest contrast he could use in the Greek language. So he's saying like, but instead, like big time, pay attention to this, throw that out, stop doing that, but really you need to work on this. But instead, be transformed. Transformed is the word metamorphosis. You know what that is, because that's what we talk about when a caterpillar goes into its cocoon, and then it comes out a butterfly, right? The caterpillar's always been a butterfly, right? DNA-wise, like that's what it is. But it goes through this process where it then shows the outside world what it truly is. It's the same word that was used when Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. His disciples like got a glimpse of who he really was. Paul's saying we need a transformation. We need to be metamorphosized. Now going back to the active, passive, middle voice thing, when you get to this verb, transformed, it isn't in the middle voice. It's not saying you need to transform yourself. It's in the passive, which means something else is going to transform you. You need to let this other thing transform you. And when the subject isn't given to who's doing the action in the passive voice in Greek, what is called is a divine passive. It means we assume that God's the one doing the action. What Paul's saying here is you need to stop conforming yourself to the world, but you need to allow the Holy Spirit to do the transformation in your life. You need to allow him. You don't play a role in your metamorphosis. You can't do it. Have you tried? We've all struggled with sin. We all struggle with sin. And man, there's been so many new years where I've said, God, I know I've struggled with this my entire life, but this is the year it's different. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, and I'm going to change, and I'm going to grit my teeth, and I'm going to do it. And it's a really great fad diet, and for two weeks it works. And then I find myself falling into whatever sin it is again. Discouraged. What's, what's wrong with me? This doesn't seem like the victorious Christian life. And the problem is, I was trying to do it. Did, did Jesus die so that we could all live by a set of rules again? I don't think so. That's what the Old Testament was about. A set of rules to show you, you can't do it. And I get that, because I can't do it. But what's this, I'll write my law on their heart, new covenant thing? What's this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light thing? What is this, I came to give life and to give it abundant thing because I'm telling you as I'm trying to have victory over my sin it doesn't work very well it's because I don't transform myself the Holy Spirit transforms me the Holy Spirit transforms you you don't do any of it how do we go about this transformation process what is our role in it right this is the beautiful part of it by the renewing of your mind 
the renovation of your mind. It doesn't say the renewing of your emotions. You see that? (laughs) It doesn't say the renewing of your attitude. It doesn't say the renewing of your service. It doesn't say for the renewing of your church attendance. The renewing of your mind. This is a reversal of what Paul talked about in chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 28, he says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. This is the state of humanity apart from Jesus saving us. We have a depraved mind. We don't worship the true God. We do things that are not proper. We struggle with sin. But as a Christian, brothers, because that's who this is written to, you've been made a new creation on the inside. And there's still this struggle with sin. So how do we have victory in the Christian life? What does it look like? This is it. Let the Holy Spirit transform you through the renewing of your mind because you need a renovation, not the depraved mind. You need the mind of Christ, which the Bible says we've been given. Um, To exist means to conform reality to yourself. That's a weird statement. What does it mean? It means this. It means you take up space, right? Right now, you're in reality and you're making it accommodate you, right? Because your mass is taking up space in this room right now. You also take food, like you're going to eat a burrito for lunch, and you're going to make that burrito into you. Isn't that what food does? It gives us energy. It becomes us. Water, you do the same thing with water. Sunlight, don't you take sunlight and suck in the vitamin? To exist is to conform reality to yourself. You're doing it with air right now. Everything does it that exists. This table's doing it with space. Animals do it. Plants do it. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Literally, in your metaphysical being, he's there. His existence in you is to conform you to himself. The Bible talks about conforming us to the image of his son. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. That's the transformation that can take place if we allow him to do it through the renewing of our mind. This is your job as a Christian. His yoke really is easy and his burden is light because it's about you saying, I can't try hard enough. I can't do enough. My resolutions don't work enough. God, I need you to help. And he goes, all right, now we're getting somewhere. Isn't it stupid? Sometimes we think, I know he died for my sins and saved me, but I'll take it from here. Do you think, I mean, maybe we won't verbalize it, but that's definitely how we live. I've got to clean up. I've got to be better. I need to act right. I need to act. And it's just an act. I don't want my kids to become great actors at being good. I actually want them to be good. Don't you want to be good? Don't you want to be patient? Here's the thing. In my life, what I've found is when I I see flaws, and I think the Holy Spirit definitely reveals issues we've got. My knee-jerk reaction is, okay, I see it, I'll fix it. I'll get it done. I'll work on it, right? And I grit my teeth, and I try, and I get okay at it, but it's hard. It's not easy. It's not light. And then I fail at it, and I realize I can't do it. What I need to do is renew my mind. Jesus said it like this, abide in me, because apart from me, you can't do anything. Paul also puts it like, walk in the Spirit, and then you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. He doesn't say, try not to fulfill the desires of the flesh. He says, step one is getting close to Jesus. Step one, getting close to Jesus. When I am studying Scripture, 
when I'm praying regularly, when I'm memorizing scripture especially, I don't have to try to be a patient person. I find myself being a more patient person. When you get close to Jesus, he rubs off on you. And he transforms you. It really isn't about trying. It's about abiding. It's about getting close. It's about renewing your mind. This is our job. And as we do this, Paul gives us the why. Isn't it great that it doesn't say, and you need to do this because this is the only way you can get into heaven. That isn't what it says because it's already written to Christians. He says that you may prove what the will of God is. It's an odd statement, right? This word prove, what, what he's saying here is that by trying this out, instead of trying to do it all yourself and fix yourself, why don't you give this a try and just get close to the Lord and renew your mind? By doing it, you will know it intellectually that it's good, but you'll also know experientially that it's good. You'll also know through your life that you've tasted and you've seen, this is awesome. And the will of God is definitely better than the way I was trying to live before. And those little sin compartments I want to hold on to, if I allow the Holy Spirit to conform me to who he is, it's better. It's actually good and it's acceptable and it's perfect. He's, he's daring you, why don't you try this for a change? <laughs> try it on, see how it works, see the difference in your life. It's going to be huge for you because Jesus isn't a liar. His yoke really is easy. His burden really is light. Your responsibility is just to hang out with him, just to get close. That's it. Being a living sacrifice consists of not squeezing yourself into the mold of the world. You gotta stop that but you gotta allow the Holy Spirit to transform you. You see, conforming yourself to the world is an external change, right? I wanna, on the outside, appear to be what I'm not internally, because we're not of the world. We're not. We've been redeemed, we're a new creation, our destiny's different, we're children of light. It's not who we are. So it's a facade, it's a lie, it's fake. Why not, instead of trying to conform external things onto ourselves to make a change, we allow the change to begin within. Like the butterfly. The Holy Spirit has moved in. He's taken up residency in your life. He's tabernacled with you, made his dwelling place with you, and he wants to transform you. We can, we can say, no thanks, I don't want to do that, I'll take it from here. Or we can renew our minds. And I am telling you, take Paul up, on his challenge. By doing this, you can see, not just know that these things are true, but you'll see through your life and you'll see through the victories you can have over sin that this is legitimate, that Jesus actually will work in your life, that he's not just giving you a list of rules, but he wants to help you. He wants to do it through you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, not Christ and you, the hope of glory. Renewing our minds. This is good. This is acceptable. This is perfect. Those adjectives are referring to God's will. Not to God himself, but to his will, to his way. His ways are perfect. His ways are good. His ways are acceptable to us. Sometimes I think that we, we don't present ourselves as a sacrifice because we don't remember the mercies of God, right? Step number one, in light of all the stuff God's done for you, 
present all of you for his service. How do we do that? By not squeezing into the mold of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind, by allowing the spirit to transform us. This is the Christian life. This is what we are to do. To submit, to die to trying, and to allow him to complete the work he began in us. The problem is we can tell him no thanks. We shouldn't. Stop conforming to the pattern of the world. The world thinks they can handle it. The world thinks they're going to take care of it. I can better myself. I can, you know, I can stop anytime I want. You can't, and I can't. I need Jesus, and you need Jesus. He didn't just save us from hell. He's, he wants to save us from sin in our life right now. He really does want to help, and if you'll allow him, he will. God isn't asking you to sacrifice some things. He's asking you to sacrifice yourself. He's asking you to give him all of you. Do you trust him with all of you? That's the question, I guess. Do you really trust him with every aspect of your life? Do you trust him with all your hopes and dreams, your desires, your flaws, your struggles, the sin you don't want to give up? Do you trust the guy with all of that? If you give that to him, the transformation process will work. I can't encourage you enough to memorize scripture. The Bible says, Jesus literally said, my words are life. My words are life. He didn't say, if you follow the precepts I give you through my words, they'll bring you life. He said, my words are life. He said, let the word of Christ richly indwell you. Are you doing that? Are you abiding? Are you renewing your mind according to the mind of Christ that we've been given? I can't encourage you enough. Take some time to get this into you because that's part of the transformation process. The Holy Spirit, I, sometimes I'm frustrated with all the scripture I've memorized because there's times I want to sin and then the Holy Spirit brings up a verse. Like, dang it, Holy Spirit. Can I take a day off? Like, can I get a break here? No. Living sacrifice. Daily. All the time. Every aspect. That's what he desires. He doesn't want you to do things for him. He wants you. He wants you. And he's going to move in and help. Take some time to reflect on the mercies of God in your life. Take some time to spend with him. You, again, it's, it's so elementary, right? You need to read your Bibles. You really need to read your Bibles. <laughs> like, like you do. You need to memorize scripture. You need to pray. These things are, vi- these are life. Or you can continue to struggle and try hard and feel like a failure. Take Paul up on his challenge. You can see that it's good and acceptable and perfect to live in God's will. 